Welcome to Influence to Impact, where we explore how to use your platform to change the world. Here we talk to celebrities, social media influencers, and other highly influential people to learn about their personal stories of giving back, making an impact, and how we can build better partnerships for good. Hosted by Maxine Tatlonghari and powered by Kaleidoscope.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Influenced Impact Room. My name is Maxine Tatlanghari, and I'm an entrepreneur and fundraiser, and I'm the host of Influenced Impact. Joining me today is our producer and founder of Kaleidoscope, Nick Lynch, who will chime in from time to time. Today, we're talking with Clayton Claytano Kanemitsu, CEO of MLO Shoes, esports streamer, and champion of nonprofit causes. Towards the end, we'll be taking a few questions, so go ahead and raise your hand by clicking the button in the right-hand corner. You will be put into the queue, and we'll bring you on stage one at a time. We are also recording this conversation, and it will be accessible to listen to later on kaleidoscope.io. Clay, we'd love to start off by hearing the story behind the founding of MLO Shoes and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy to to be here, and thanks for having me. So yeah, just to give you kind of a, a quick background of how everything started. For the past five years or so, I have been a social media influencer on YouTube and Twitch, mainly just playing like mobile games and stuff. And I had always enjoyed doing it because, you know, who doesn't love playing video games for a living? It doesn't really (laughs) get much better than that at some point. But from there, I was just trying to find other avenues to explore my passion, which was to create and inspire people. So with YouTube, you know, of course, I can create content and then hopefully inspire the people that are following me in many different types of ways. And so I wanted something more, not necessarily always in front of cameras. So something that I can reach more people with, but not necessarily be super active, like having to be there every single day on screen. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, I do have to be there on screen or be there every day, but definitely not just on screen all the time. So definitely wears on you a little bit. So with that, I was actually traveling in Paris earlier in 2020. So like right before the pandemic started getting crazy. And I was going out to a couple of different shops there. And of course, like Paris is super big on fashion. I think actually Fashion Week was there while I was in town there as well. So it just got me a little bit more intrigued. I've always kind of been into fashion, but never really explored it like that crazily until I had something while I was there, just kind of sparked my interest. And of course, like going to stores like Gucci and Louis Vuitton, they treat you very well while you're there. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, they'll sit you down on the couch and like bring you champagne while you're shopping <laughs> for stuff. Like it's, it's actually crazy. But it makes I noticed, it a lot more fun though, I have to say. Oh yeah, no, trust me, it was a blast. So I was like, wow, I, I wish I could have been doing this for a lot longer than just now, but no, it was cool. It was like really eye-opening, but then it got me thinking, you know, what am I actually paying for? Am I paying for all of the service? Am I paying for actual quality? Am I just paying for the designer brand? Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of controversy that goes into luxury goods. Some people think that it's absolutely worth it. Other people don't. And really at the end of the day, you know, if it's something that makes you happy, you don't really have to explain why to anybody Mm. else. But from my standpoint, I just knew that there's kind of a gap in the industry where you can't really get high fashion designs at really accessible prices to a lot of people. And I really started understanding like that's probably why I was never super into fashion previously. It's because I just didn't have the disposable income. So I never really got into it. I never had a chance to 
get waited on while I shop for clothes. So uh, it was just, you know, a whole different world that started getting opened up to me. And I realized that, you know, maybe there's something here where, you know, I could create something that's in this void of the fashion industry. So literally before we even left Paris, I started like researching ways on how to start a fashion company, start clothing, start shoes. And my initial thought was I just wanted to get into the fashion industry in general, but I really landed on shoes because I didn't really see a whole lot of other companies doing it, right? There's definitely a whole bunch of clothing lines. So, you know, hoodies, t-shirts, you know, whatever it might be. There's a whole bunch of people that do that because there's a lot of accessible services to jumpstart businesses in today's world through e-commerce. But for shoes, there's nothing really that makes it easy for you. And so me, of course, I was like, well, if it's not easy, then that means there's probably a lot less competition for it. So Mm. uh, I just started researching that more and more and found some manufacturers overseas that I wanted to explore more and uh, really just dive into it. After I got back on that trip, I spent, you know, 16 hours a day. I didn't upload videos anymore. I didn't stream anymore. Uh, (laughs) Now you had a new obsession. Yeah, I just had a new obsession. Exactly. And it, it was just something that I just wanted to spend all my time doing. And so I literally just spent all my time doing it. And after about two weeks of that, I came up with my brand. I came up with my vision and found some manufacturers that were willing to produce the shoes that I enjoyed and I liked. And then the next thing was trying to figure out the logistics of everything. So what we did as a company, as MLO, is we actually started doing a direct-to-consumer approach. So basically, Mm -hmm. the manufacturer makes the shoes and they just send them directly to our customers uh, at the end. You're not even warehousing at all. It's completely directly from the manufacturer. Right. So it cuts a whole bunch of costs And that's exactly what we needed to do in order to really fulfill our vision, which from the very beginning was to create these high fashion looking designs at accessible prices. You know, we didn't want to cut out the quality. We didn't want to cut out different things that were necessary for having an awesome experience with a company, but we wanted to cut out the things that weren't necessary. So, you know, we didn't want to upcharge for a brand name. We didn't want to upcharge for packaging. That was another one that we cut out. So instead of sending our shoes in boxes, we actually decided to send our shoes in recyclable, reusable gym bags instead. And that did a whole bunch of different things where one, we're saving on the shipping costs and we're also saving on the cost of the box itself. So you know, some people still feel some type of way about it. You know, very <laughs> uh, avid shoe lovers, they kind of expect their shoes to come in boxes. But uh, I think we've been very clear now where people are just starting to get used to it. Like, yeah, you know, MLO shoes, they come in bags. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's not just because we want to cut costs, but it's because we want to cut costs in the parts that don't necessarily matter. Like you're going to be wearing the shoes. You're not going to always have them in a box. So that was uh, the one decision that we made in order to really fulfill our purpose as far as hitting that market that really nobody else has really gone into. And I think because of that, we've just seen this huge sort of cult following start happening around our shoes because there's a lot of people that are into fashion, into shoes 
but they know that they have to save up their entire paycheck to buy one pair of Jordans, you know, or, or one pair of Gucci's that could be even more. So now they have this other alternative where, you know, they can have a whole bunch of different designs, colors that they can match with all these different outfits that they have and not have to be limited by what they can afford. It's more so of a way for them to express their creativity and their personality in general through their clothing with in a way that they hadn't been able to previously. One of the things, you know, you mentioned design. So I want to jump into this a little bit before we switch gears into how you give back, which you do so well. But I kind of like the inclusive way that you handle your designs. I know you do a lot of it, but anyone within the company has that opportunity to also design a shoe. Tell us a little bit about that. That's one of the cool things about working for us is that there's really no limitations on what you can do within the company. We have a very open policy where if you don't necessarily like doing the job that you're currently doing, then you know you can, you can switch. Uh, you know, if you want to be a shoe designer full time, then you can absolutely be a shoe designer full time. Of course, you know the designs have to go through an approval process, but at the same time, we've had employees that you know would get hired on and just send us these designs that are super, super cool. And we would run with them and they'd actually do really well. We don't want to limit the people that work for us and our team members because they're a part of our family just as much as anybody. So why make it seem like it's only available for specific shoe designers? Of course, we do have shoe designers that come in and make some really awesome shoes for us, but it doesn't have to be like anybody can be creative. And we want to let our team also be creative and not have any boundaries on it. Well, I love that. And again, I know that part of both your clothing venture and your shoe venture has philanthropy and giving back as just part of the business model. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with that and what was sort of the starting point of this love affair with philanthropy? So that definitely goes back to my social media days when I was on YouTube. I'd always try to figure out a way to give back to people. And, you know, it's hard to put an exact date or like moment that something happened where I just felt like I wanted to give back. I think it was like a gradual thing where I was, so growing up, I played hockey and went to college for hockey. And then after that, decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I I left and then got some basic odd jobs here and there and started moving up a corporate ladder within an insurance company. I was just kind of... I cannot imagine you working for an insurance company. That just does not fit. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, (laughs) But of course, like whatever I did, I always made sure I did it with the most integrity and I put everything into it as I could. But then I always had this like side thing that I was doing, which was YouTube. And I think it just gave me the appreciation for like having the opportunity to get out of this like nine to five job Mm. and be able to do something that I actually enjoyed for a living. Like it was a super hard journey to get to that point. Um, Mm. But when I finally got there, it just gave me this like massive, massive appreciation for the people that helped me get there. I can't take credit for being in this position because there is so many people, there's literally millions of people that helped me get to this point where if I take credit for this, like it's just, it doesn't make sense. So what I started doing as a YouTuber was I always gave back some type of way. I would do monthly giveaways where I'd like give one of my viewers a PlayStation or like a game console of their choice because all of my content was around games. I would pick somebody 
every month and then donate to their charity or whatever cause was more impactful for them. Just because I realized that it's not all about me and and it can't be all about me. So it has to be a, a communicative thing. And it made me feel a lot better about what I was doing. And it really opened my eyes to what actually my passion was. Like I said, it's creating content, but it's also inspiring people to do the same and to have an impact in their own right on the world. You know, if you love it, you can figure out a way to make a living from it as well afterwards. And I know that there's a lot of people that have a different sort of mindset on that as well. From my perspective, when I was growing up, there was always the figure out what's going to make you money and then learn to love it, where Mm. I definitely think the exact opposite, like figure out what you love to do and then figure out a way to make a decent income from it. It doesn't even have to be anything crazy, but your quality of life, in my opinion, is just going to be way more meaningful. That's kind of how the whole start to the philanthropy started, I think, is just the appreciation and feeling the commitment that I have to give back to other people who helped me along the way. MLO, when I started that, I just saw it as another opportunity to broaden that. So it wasn't just necessarily the stuff that I was making from YouTube, but it was a much, much bigger audience that I was able to connect with and impact and inspire as well. What I love about your YouTube days, it was very high touch with one person, right? And like you said, now you've got a company and so the platform can be a lot broader. So I think like with all things, they evolve and change. So let's talk about how you're using your platform and have expanded your commitment to impact the world, really. I think you nailed it on the head there, right? Like as a YouTuber, I was the only one that I was really responsible for. And you know, I had a video editor, which I'll talk to you about in a, in a second here. But aside from that, it was basically it. When I started MLO, at the beginning, it was just myself. My wife was giving me some feedback, you know, very honest feedback, of course. Yeah, on as wives do, as we should. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> you know, I appreciate her for that. And yeah, it was just basically myself again. And then from there, you know, we started in March. That's when the initial launch happened, which was basically just myself at that time. And uh, right at the beginning of COVID too, right? Right, exactly. Wow. That's, that's kind of where everything begins. So initially it was just like, hey, let's try to make some cool shoes and you'll know, have all this other vision that I just that I talked about previously. But then what was happening was with our direct-to-consumer approach, with sending shoes directly from our manufacturer to our customers, it started getting all messed up with airlines shutting down and the whole mm. world shutting down at that point, right? So at that point, I was like, we have to do something. I have to do something in order to make it right for these customers who trusted me with their <laughs> money as a brand yeah. new company, right? So I did a couple of things that really... They were definitely not things that I think a lot of people would have done in a similar situation, just because from a business standpoint, it it is very scary. So (laughs) I need to know. Tell me. Yeah. So we're, I think at this point, maybe a month into business, already doing more than I thought we would do ever in sales. Um, Mm. Originally, I just thought I'd make a couple hundred bucks extra here that purchased shoes from us already. And I was like, hey, guys, like we're having a ton of logistic delays, like shipping delays, Mm. and you might not get your products for a couple months at this point. And and (sighs) some products were even taking, you know, three months. But again, at this point, we didn't really have any 
hard evidence of what the future was going to look like. Sure. Everything was so new. So what I said in the email was, I'm going to guarantee that they will get there within 60 days, which wow. is still a really long time. And if they don't, I will refund you guys you know, all of your money and then also still make sure that your shoes get there eventually. Oh. Like, oh so. my God, that is gutsy. Yeah, people definitely took me up on it. I can <laughs> a, imagine. A lot of people, right? I mean, shipping times, they were more than two months. They were getting up to the point where they're like three months, four month mm-hmm. timeframes. So we were just refunding everything and also sending out shoes still. So we were wow. almost operating at a loss, which we hadn't any investments to start the company. It was all self-funded through myself. And then we brought on another investor pretty early on near the end of March, who actually happened to be my talent management's CEO, uh, some guy Mm. I worked with a lot in the past. And he's got his own history in in itself, which is really, really helpful for the company. But in the grand scheme of things, the amount that we brought in as far as investments were concerned were definitely nowhere near as much as we needed. (laughs) So it was very scary. Personally, I was putting hundreds of thousands of dollars on a credit card to help pay back these people that, you know, I just felt that I had to. I already made the commitment that I wanted to do this. And so I just wanted to make sure I did it right. You know, if this is something that I had to do, I just had to do it. Fast forward a little bit after we kind of got that settled slightly, you know, and we were still kind of in the heat of things, but sales were still coming in despite logistics issues that we were having. You didn't shut it down at that point. You still kept the sales on, even though you were still trying to resolve the shipping. Wow. Yeah, we still kept the sales on. So it is very bold, right? Like I think any reasonable person would have said like, we should just shut it down. But it is kind of hindsight 2020 where we didn't really know how long this was going to sure. last. So at this point we had a lot of momentum from people that were mm. really interested. So we were trying to take advantage of that as much as possible with keeping that momentum going. And then if we needed to refund, we still had to refund. And then on top of that, then we made the decision like, all right, well, what's another issue that we can help solve during this time? Because there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. It's not just happening to us. It's happening to a lot of different people. And it, honestly, as much as we were refunding in orders and still sending out shoes for, there was a lot of people that were very understanding. They got the email from me and they were like, hey man, like, it's okay. We understand. Don't worry about refunding us. Just keep us oh, updated. Wow. And that was like super cool to me. And yeah. it's one of those things that always you know, makes you have faith in humanity again just because it's like yeah you know that's it is like at the end of the day it's something that's happening around the world and it's not necessarily something that we had a whole lot of control over so it was just awesome that there were more customers that were more understanding than not so were a lot of your customers your youtube audience did they already have that relationship and trust with you or was this a whole new group of yeah So my YouTube audience didn't really have a huge impact on our early success. Yeah, you know, I let them know what I was doing when I stopped really producing day-to-day content, but it definitely wasn't a majority. It was probably a very small percentage of people that had that relationship with me already. It was mostly new people that had never seen or heard of me before. And so that was, I think, the most moving part about it. Yeah. They just had this blind trust and they're willing to wait. And it's cool because I still know 
some of those people that I had, <laughs> you know, conversations with saying like, Hey, you know, your shoes are going to be pretty delayed here. And I would just talk to them on like a human level, basis. Yeah. yeah. And talking to them on a human level is just letting them know just the situation. And it was just super cool in that respect. But to go more into, you know, some of the other issues that were going on is that there were healthcare workers that weren't getting the proper protection that they needed during this time, right? So mm-hmm. um, my wife specifically, she was a diagnostic medical sonographer for high-risk maternal fetal medicine practice clinic. So they were basically saying that she had to, you know, she was a central worker, so she never got any time off during the pandemic. But then wow. uh, so they didn't really have all the proper PPEs that were needed in order to scan these patients in a, in a safe manner. So, you know, it was kind of a personal thing for me, but I wanted to start giving back on a more broad level to help provide, you know, that life-saving equipment to healthcare workers on the front lines of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when we started donating a portion of every sale to the CDC response fund in order to make that a reality. And that on top of all these other things, again, like I said, it, from a business standpoint, <laughs> you're probably thinking I'm, I'm crazy just because every single moment I'm always making this decision to always try to give back, even though we're, even though, like I said, I have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt on a credit card that I'm just confident that it'll come back around, right? As long as I do what's right by my customers and have that impact that I've always wanted to have. So. That's incredible. I didn't realize that there was such a personal story with the relationship with CDC. And I do remember those days when our frontline workers didn't even have the equipment they needed in order to keep them safe and keep them doing their jobs. So, yeah, no, it was definitely a crazy time. And so, so much of a relief now that things have kind of started slowing down finally. And people are getting vaccinated. And I just remember around this time last year, it was just so much of a different story. And I went to get my first vaccination, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I'm getting my second dose tomorrow. And I was standing in line to get it. I was like, man, we're, we're here. Like it, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm double vaxxed. I've had both shots of Moderna and I wish you the same experience I had. I had no side effects, but yeah, it was surreal. Reminded me of some of those movies that we've seen where people are starting to get their inoculations and you're like, when you see it on a movie, you Mm -hmm. think, oh, well, that's just a movie. And then here we are living it. Like the whole movie, you know, is is a struggle that it's always like dreary outside. And then you're standing (laughs) in line at the end of the movie and the sun's out and (laughs) It's just like a bright day and your everybody's hopes are high. Like even standing in line, like everybody was super happy. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, like you said, a surreal experience you know, yeah. going through it in person. So, What other causes have you supported? I saw quite a few on your platform and how do you choose which ones? I see the one with the PPE because it's your wife and it was really at home, mm-hmm. but you've done some work around social justice and other, other yeah. issues. Yeah. So, you know, after, you know, the initial push for everything going on with the pandemic, personally, I really enjoyed it. And everybody at the company really enjoyed just the ability for us to give back despite the repercussions on a business standpoint, on our <laughs> on our financial standpoint anyway. But they realized like, hey, this actually does a lot of good, not just for mm. the people that we're impacting, but people that are just watching us as a new company and wanting to do the same thing. It's not just you know, the CDC foundation that we went and helped out. It's, you know, other people that 
now see us doing that and they want to jump on board as well. But yeah, fast forward a couple months to around June, late May. And at this point, we're in that realm where everything sort of happened with you know George Floyd, unfortunately, and Breonna Taylor and all these things started happening. And we we're just like, man, like this is hitting home for us because myself, I'm a minority, uh, you know, I'm Japanese American and uh, yeah. my other co-founders and investors, they're also minorities. One of them is Hispanic. The other one is Korean. And we also have a, a black African-American co-founder as well. So again, it is a very personal, yeah, personal topic that hit us all very equally. And Again, so we were still at this point donating a portion of sales to the CDC response fund. So we we made the decision to then shift our donation at that point to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund in order to mm. you know fight against that social injustice and inequalities there. Yeah, like I said, it's just a very personal thing for us, and I think that's where the most genuine acts come from are through things that you really are impacted by. So it's one thing to just donate to certain causes, but if you have a personal connection with something, I think it just makes that so much more powerful and meaningful as well. Yeah. And you mentioned, of course, your driving benefit to the organizations that you work with. Let's talk a little bit about the value partnerships between influencers, corporations, and nonprofits. Have you found that giving back actually makes a difference to your bottom line in the company as well? As far as like, if we promote that we give a portion of our sales to a certain fund that we also get more sales because people want to support it. Is that what you're kind of asking there? Yeah. I mean, there can be that. I know sometimes it's that direct, but maybe even just like the value to the brand or the relationship with the customer. You know, there's so many other nuanced things that I think can go into what is value, right? Yeah, definitely. So a hundred percent, it definitely does have a positive impact on your value as a brand. It does have, well, it just have value to your brand in multiple different ways from what we saw. You know, of course, I personally think that you never want to do it just because of those reasons, because then you're not necessarily doing it for the right reason, in my opinion, which I you know, could be a, a whole other topic in itself. But, um, <laughs> the honest truth is that, yeah, it does have an impact on, on multiple things. And for us, it was our initial vision as a company, and, and we were going to do it either way, where we started having a much greater connection with our audience. And we started really getting to know our audience a lot more because we understood that, hey, like it's not just us. It's not just the executive team. It's not just the owners of MLO Shoes that feel this way. It's a whole bunch of people that also enjoy our shoes. Now, it's not just us, it's everybody that's purchasing our shoes. Now they walk around in them with their heads held high, knowing that they're supporting like a great cause, right? So yeah, it has value to us because we feel like we're not fighting a hopeless fight. We're actually making an impact. And everybody that's supporting us is also on board with it because we weren't quiet about it. You know, it was was (laughs) plastered all over our website and, and our advertisements for a really long time that this is where your money is going. You know, we made that decision where there's a lot of other companies where they just would rather not be super political in that sense um, mm. because they're unsure of how it would affect them, right? So, like, maybe the owners of that company don't necessarily align with the audience that their products appeal to. And if they wanted to go a certain way with their brand, that they could lose a whole bunch of people where, you know, we were very fortunate where 
our values aligned with our audience and our customers. And it just helped us have like this insane relationship with them. That alone is, in my opinion, priceless. And it's not just with our audience, not just our customers, but also our employees and and our team members that do everything on a day-to-day basis. They all have this drive to have an impact because it's not just selling shoes anymore. You know, it's, it's actually doing something that changes the world. So I think that alone is super valuable thing that has come from it, just the community aspect. And then also, of course, yeah, the community, I think, then translates to sales and it turns into this win-win situation for everybody, right? Like we support a great cause. The people who we sell our products to also feel a connection with us as owners of a company that isn't typically a thing. I think in today's day and age with corporate structures, there's a lot more of a disconnect between the CEOs and founders of companies and the actual audience where, you know, Mm -hmm. people feel like they know me, you know, I'm always on our social media and, you know, I have my Instagram on our bio and people reach out to me all the time. And I, I respond to as many DMS as I can just because that's how I want it to be. I don't want there to be this huge disconnect because then we lose that touch with our community, but with having a stronger community, then comes better bottom line numbers, of course. So again, like I said, it's just a win-win for everybody. Well, it sounds to me like everything is really at this values-driven ecosystem, right? Like your employees are so proud to be there. Your customers are proud to wear the shoes because they know that the shoes are impacting causes that are really about our community right now. So yeah. And to speak on the influencer portion of that question as well, we've been super fortunate that we've actually not paid for a massive influencer push. We've all organic. Yeah, it's been all organic. So, you know, you have these massive names and and massive influencers that have reached out to us, uh, reached out to me personally, and have been just willing to wear the brand just because they want to be a part of our vision and our mission and, and want to share it with their followers as well. I love that. Okay. Well, anything final you want to say to that, but I think Becky, you've been so patient. We wanted to bring you up and see if you had any questions. Hi guys. Um, Becky Indicott. I'm I'm like the whitest woman in the middle of the Bible belt in Oklahoma. (laughs) Well, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just, I am so inspired by Clayton and the story and what your company has done. Nick's actually been on my partner and I's podcast. We try to curate really awesome movements with people within the nonprofit field and people who want to create philanthropic movements for good. We have a huge push toward inclusivity and DEI. So I want to thank you for everything, Clayton, that you talked about. I'm just really curious about now that you've been able to start these amazing grassroots movements, what are your dreams for the future and how are you going to pour this passion that you have into other causes? Just real curious about that. Thank you. Definitely. And nice to meet you, Becky. And I appreciate you asking that question. So the future of MLO is pretty large in scale of of where we want to take this thing. And it actually branches out into a lot of other aspects, even beyond the fashion industry. So on top of MLO, I know we talked about it briefly with Introverted Extrovert. So this brand is pretty close to me personally, because I feel like I'm a very introverted person, but I do have some tendencies to be extroverted. So it kind of plays on more of my actual personality in a way where 
I come across very extroverted on camera when I'm doing my YouTube videos and stuff. But when the camera's off, I do actually get pretty introverted. And my wife will be the first one to tell you, like, I, I almost never leave the house. I would just prefer not to if I had the opportunity. But with that, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we can explore with that brand specifically. And again, not just because of just wanting to, because it has that monetary value, but because it has that personal value again. So it's more along the lines of with that, we want to go more into the, the mental illness and awareness. And it's something that my brother also struggles with uh, bipolar schizophrenia. So it is another thing that's like super, super close to me and, and something that I'm passionate about, but really just, you know, the future within the brands that we want to create are just things that are very near to myself and the people and the team members that we have working for us. And something that we're actually looking to implement as well is every time we bring on a new hire, a new employee, part of their hiring process is that we give them a specific amount that they can donate to one of their local charities or foundation that they feel close to. Again, so it's not just coming from the top, the whole company in itself is making the decision to give back at every point and also just giving back on things that matter most to everybody within a company. So for example, like if I feel some type of way about a specific topic or a specific matter, then you know not necessarily everybody in the company has to feel that way mm. and that's okay. But we also want to make sure that everybody is you know, being able to get back to the things that matter to them as well. Again, it's a very collaborative thing that we just want to continue doing this overall. And then the end goal is something that hasn't necessarily been announced yet. Oh, uh, so I don't want to go, <laughs> go into <laughs> you, too much detail in it. Just, say um, just a small piece of it. <laughs> yeah, but, but a small piece of it, it's everything that we do, we want to do with a purpose, right? That's the main idea. And so we've put a lot of thought into the future and what the end goal looks like and what we want to do. And at the end of the day, the bigger we are as a company, the more impact that we can have. Uh, and we really mm -hmm. feel passionate about the fact that if we're put into a situation similar to, you know, some of these bigger brands that we would be able to continue our values, even at that level where they might have more of a corporate structure where they can't necessarily do the things that they want and they don't have the freedom to do it. So we want to maintain that as we grow. So that way we can continue doing it without having to worry too much about the political repercussions. We just want to do the things that we're passionate about and are near to us. And then, so with that, we do have a growth plan to move into something that will be more impactful for the entire e-commerce industry rather than just the fashion industry. So as, as we continue to move forward, we're building a lot of different, I guess, technology and, and systems that are going to have a bigger impact on the way we do things as a e-commerce industry. Well, that's exciting. And I just want to cheer you on because what you're doing is so great. And just pouring that philanthropy and putting it into the hands of your employees is such an empowering thing where they really feel like badasses. You know, they feel like they can be philanthropists even if they're like a 22-year-old kid. Yeah. So I just really commend you. Love your story. And just as an aside, my seven-year-old was in here while I was listening <laughs> and I'm looking at your women's high tops and she really <laughs> wants one. And so she told me to tell you that you need to make the T-A 
eight forties in children's uh, yeah. she really wants those. <laughs> yeah, no, my sister-in-law, she has young children as well. And she keeps bugging me. She's like, you guys need to do kid sizes. So it's actually in the works. Um, and I love the T840s. I love the colors of them. Definitely reminds me of like Lakers and stuff. And where I grew up in LA definitely is cool. So glad she likes them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Good luck to you. Thanks, Becky. Clay, what part of LA did you grow up in? Curious. I grew up in Chino. So like Inland Empire. Okay. So, so cowboy. Yes, okay, boy. I, I was there till I was 16 years old. And then I think I mentioned it previously, but I played hockey all growing up. So after I turned 16, I got drafted into a team in Canada and then started getting traded all over the place from that point on. Wow. Well, we want to thank you for taking time to spend with us and sharing you know, everything from your streaming background to YouTube to your shoe line to your fashion and potentially disrupting the e-commerce industry all while holding philanthropy and giving back at your core. So we are joining Becky and cheering you on and thank you for being a part of our first impact influence to impact. Yeah. Like I said, thank you so much for having me. I'm super thrilled to be a part of it and and to be, you know, the first person to be on here (laughs) and you know, invite me to the other one so that way I can listen to everybody else's story. It's, it's again, inspirational to hear other people doing the same thing. Well, thank you so much, Clay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Influence to Impact. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you in the next episode. 